content may not be appropriate for all audiences. Listener's discretion is advised. to WTF Are You Talking About, the podcast where we don't know what we're talking about until you do. I'm Katie. I'm Decker. And we are here to ask each other, what the fuck are you talking about? It's true. So here's a brief rundown of how this is going to work. We've got six categories of topics. The next episode's contents will be determined by the roll of a die. Or two. Depends on what we roll. Yep. The categories are true crime, paranormal, history and education, science, entertainment, and current events. We will be using an eight-sided die. So if you roll a one, then you have to roll a six-sided die for those same categories, but with the caveat that everything has to be local. So that means within Idaho or any state bordering Idaho. If you roll an eight, then that's like a wild and you get to pick your category. Mm-hmm. So let's let's crack into it. Decker, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, uh, mine's a doozy. <laughs> Mine is, and I think it's one that you've heard before, but it may have been a while since you... What was your category? My category was true crime. Ah, yes. Yeah, and mine's, uh, yeah, this is going to be a rough one. So I, I was trying to look up some, uh, some you know, older uh, crimes that happened that maybe I'd, like, I'd never heard about before. Like, maybe they're, like, in the, this country or, like, another one. And I stumbled across one that I realized one of my favorite podcasts did in the very beginning of their show. And oh, oh my gosh, I just, you know what I just realized? What? They did it on their episode seven. What? <laughs> Whoops, okay. Well, <laughs> that's really funny. Um, yeah, because it, it, um, it's, and that's why we drink. Uh-huh. I, didn't, I didn't even realize that they had done it until I had done more research on this oh. specific thing. Because, like, they're, like, up to, like, 80-plus episodes now, yeah. so it's... Shout out to, uh, and that's why we drink. That's a great yeah, podcast. Yeah, you guys. guys are great. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, I am talking about the, uh, oh, gosh, no, I hope I, uh, I know I'll say some stuff wrong. This will be a great drinking game, by the way, for those of you that, if you know I'm saying it wrong, you guys can drink. Um, the Hinterkaifeck Murders. Okay. Have you heard of this before? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. The name is very familiar, but I can't... You can't recall? Yes. That's good. Okay. Awesome. So, um, the Hinterkaifeck murders was basically a, uh, it was basically a murder of a whole family that mm-hmm. happened. It's, it's, it's been unsolved. It will re- probably remain unsolved because this happened back in 1922. So, um, to kind of give you a gist of this one, um, Hinterkaifeck was a small farmstead, um, just outside of Munich, about 43 miles in terms of, like, American standard, 70 kilometers for those of us, for those of you that aren't in the States, um, and it happened on the evening of March 31st of 1922. Now, it had to do with, um, basically, uh, the father, Andreas Gruber, the um, mother, who was, uh, I think I can say this right, because it has a little umla, I think it's, uh, I think it's Ketzelia, I believe is the correct pronunciation. So Ketzelia, um, their widowed daughter, uh, Victoria Gabriel, and then her children, uh, Ketzelia 
and uh, Yosef. Does this involve an axe? Kind of. Okay. It's, it's, it's been t said as it is a pickaxe, but it's actually a, uh, a matic. Okay. I'm talk. I, I yeah, I, I know which one you're talking about now. You know which one I'm talking yeah. about now? Okay. <laughs> and, well, so what was funny was uh, I, I listened to several different podcasts that covered this, and I did some research online, and I found a lot of things were fairly similar, but I, I heard of some things that I didn't hear from any other story. So I basically, this whole thing is like a culmination of all that data that I gathered, and I kind of left this one more confused than <laughs> certain about it. You mean you didn't um, solve it? Nope. For fuck's sake. <laughs> I know, right? What even was this? Um, but So it had to do with her children, and then also their maid, uh, Maria. I'm not going to say her last name. I will butcher it. <laughs> um, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so when the, these murders happened... Uh, just before this, kind of to give you a backstory as to this family and their standing with like their their town. Um, this family was not very well liked. It had to do with a number of reasons. So um, first off, they were fairly well off. I don't know how well off they were, but it, it sounded like from older articles that they they were not in any kind of financial difficulty. In fact, they are probably doing you know, pretty well in terms of their social standing, in terms of, uh, you know, their finances. Um, now, the father was considered abusive um, to both his wife and to his daughter. And the abuse got supposedly so bad, and actually, uh, sorry, not supposedly, it did get so bad to where the uh, the father and the daughter had an incestuous relationship. <sighs> now it was in a lot of other podcasts they said they speculated, but I had one that said definitively <laughs> that they, that it was an actual thing that was recorded by the police department. Because what ended up happening was after that incestuous relationship kind of happened, the father got sentenced to prison for a year, mm -hmm. and the daughter got sentenced to prison for one month. Based on that. So I'm getting a little too far ahead for myself. Okay, so so you have the father, uh, Andreas. You have the mother, who is uh, Ketzelia. And then you have the daughter, right, Victoria. Now, Victoria, she was originally married to another person named um, That's usually Carl. how marriage works. Carl Gabriel, <laughs> right? Because she's widowed. So, not Peter? No, not Peter. So, <laughs> uh, so Carl Gabriel, uh, they were married, and he went to go fight off in the war and ended up in World War One, and he ended up dying. Um, that'll be important later on. But so she went back to go live with them, uh, and there are a lot of people who are looking to court victoria right like they wanted to marry her because of again the financial standing and you know supposedly she was very like herself initially was not necessarily well received but she wasn't disliked in the beginning um and so during this time um after uh andreas had been ousted right she starts seeing another person by the name of Lawrence. Lawrence uh, Schlittenbauer. Oh, yeah, him. Yes, him. <laughs> right. Um, and they saw, they saw each other for about a year. And the reason why that one is important is 
they started seeing each other right as soon as her father had gone to prison after she had gotten back out and she ended up giving birth to a kid named Yosef. And she said that it was definitely Lauren's kid. Okay, but how long? Close enough to where that's murky. Oh! Yeah, yeah. So, so she says definitively it's his. And at this point, right, he, and uh, I believe he just lost his wife um, from like uh, being married. So he lost his wife and um, he had also lost his kid. I didn't get a time frame for when that loss was, but it sounded like it was pretty close to the eventual murders that will be coming up. Um, and then apparently she threatened to sue him for alimony <laughs> if he didn't pay. <laughs> right? And I think I could see this being one of two things. I could see it being that either she she was just so determined that it was his and she didn't want to get cheated in a sense, even though their family is pretty well off. Or it could have also been that she didn't want to believe that it was her father's child. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. then you have both, hey, it's dad and granddad. <laughs> granddad Pappy. Um, well, she, was she trying to get alimony or child support? Uh, it said alimony. Okay. Is what it said, uh, according to several podcasts and some of the articles I looked at. Were they ever married? No. Okay. So maybe they meant child support. Um, I'm maybe, assuming, maybe I just don't know all the maybe, definitions of maybe I don't know the definition don't of alimony, but that's what they were saying. And so, um, yeah, so they started seeing each other and eventually it became very hostile between both of them. Because if you think about it, you have a well-off family now it's trying to sue you. Right. Because they want you to pay child support. And he he was doing pretty well, but he wasn't well, as well off as them. He just lost his uh, wife and kid, and now he feels like he has to pay for a kid who, after everything, he's like, this isn't my Might kid. Mine, yeah. Right? So according to the Googles, uh, alimony is a synonym for, or can be a synonym for child support. Okay. But the definition says a husband or wife's court-ordered provision for a spouse after separation or divorce. Hmm. Okay. Because I know that they were, they were uh, fairly intimate, and I know that... Um, well, I mean, suppose like he had asked for her hand, and her father said no because from prison. No, no, no. Like after he got it. Oh, okay. Right, and so he said no, and I'm like, well, of course, if you're gonna keep sleeping with your daughter, you don't want anyone taking your daughter away. Ugh, I'm like a fucking sicko. Um, yeah. So I, I hope you guys listened to the disclaimer in the beginning. But <laughs> um, uh, so with that though, um, that's kind of a gist of their relationship, her with her father. And the family itself was, like, other than the incest, a normal family. There was nothing really crazy that happened with, like, any of the younger kids and stuff. Um, but I need backpedaling even further because I kind of jumped ahead again. So leading up to this, they had a they had a maid originally. And her name was, let's see. Uh, I had it up here. Found it. Was it Maria? No, it wasn't Maria. Who was the other one? But what do you do with a problem like Maria? Yeah, what do you do with the problem? Um, it was because I had it right up here. Oh, okay. I'm definitely gonna say this wrong. So this maid's name was uh, I think it's uh, Kretzens Reiger. Sure. So 
she was the original maid taking care of stuff in the house and she started complaining right as a maid does and she started complaining about hearing footsteps in the attic of the house and she was telling them she's like i'm hearing stuff up there they'd always go up to go check there'd be nothing in there and she was starting to freak out and eventually she put her nose to leave because she thought this place was haunted because she was hearing voices and footsteps. And they wrote her off as being hysterical. As you did in the 1920s. This fucking patriarchy. <laughs> um, but this, this was six months before the murders happened. Now, she goes to leave and they, of course, are looking for a new maid. During this time, they start experiencing the same phenomenon after she's gone. So with that being said... Um, they, uh, so Andreas, he was uh, doing some stuff outside and he noticed um, that there were some footsteps outside leading up to the house. The problem was, is that he was seeing them go up there and then they just disappeared. He never saw any, he never saw them leaving. He just saw the footsteps going up to the house and then they were just gone. So of course he does a look around everywhere. He looks at everything. He doesn't find anything out of the ordinary. Uh, until he goes up to the barn and he sees, or uh, I can't remember if it's a barn or a tool shed because I heard both, but there was a lock on there that looked like it had been picked. Like like, like they were trying to Tampered break with. through the, right, and throw scratch marks and stuff. And so um, he told, the reason why we know this is he was telling the neighbors about this as it was happening, right? Because, I mean, the whole family's dead, so... Can't mm. talk from uh, that. Well, um, <laughs> debatable. Right? I know. Well, normally, normally you can't talk fast when you're dead. But, um... With that being said, uh, then he also finds that there's a newspaper in his house. And he thinks the mail person had delivered it incorrectly. But it doesn't make sense because no one in the neighborhood had subscribed to the newspaper. So there was no reason for there to be a newspaper in his house. Mm -hmm. Right. Also, a set of keys uh, goes missing for the house. Right. So at this point, you have you have mysterious sounds in the house. You have footsteps leading up to the house. You have stuff showing up in the house that you definitely wouldn't have. And someone is missing. living in your house, bro. Right. Someone's living in your house at this point, and he doesn't want to tell that he doesn't he doesn't want to file a police report. He wants to investigate himself. Jesus fuck. Right? I mean, to be fair, he's an incestuous asshole, so I don't really care for him. But if you wanted to figure it out, you would have asked for someone to come investigate. Do you want murderers? Because this is how you get murderers. I mean, <laughs> they could be nice. They could want to murder other people. Um, that's fine then. That's fine, right? <laughs> um and so, with that, he also runs into... That is just a lot of notes on here. So, he also has um, either... It's speculated that it's either Victoria or her mother, uh, Cecilia, goes running off into the forest, freaking out um, one night's leading up to these murders. And this could be due to a number of things, because both um, the, uh, the daughter, the mother, and the father were seeing a man standing out in the forest late at night, looking out towards the house. Right? And they'd go to investigate, and he'd be gone. You'd have all these different sounds going throughout the house. So, it, like, for me, if, I was the, if it was the mom, I'd be driven mad, not only from the sounds, but also if I knew that my husband was sleeping with my daughter... Yeah, that's going to really mess with me. And especially if the husband was abusive. Yeah, that that would mess with me completely. So you have all of that. And eventually on um, the afternoon, right? And this is the worst part. So 
On the afternoon of March 31st, if you recall in the beginning, this was the day that the murders happened. The new maid shows up. Oh, God. Um, her name is Maria uh, Baumgartner, and she comes to the farm. She was escorted there by her sister, who, like, well, did she know, of course, that was the last time she was ever going to see her sister. Mm-hmm. So she goes to drop her off to go work at the house, um, and then late in the evening, something had to have happened because, well, I say this because there's murder, but eventually people ended up being in the barn, ended up being killed. So it's speculated that either they went in there one at a time, right? They maybe want to go investigate because maybe they heard screaming. Um, or that, you know, they, maybe the kids were out playing late and they went to go find them. So it's not known in what order that this happened. But what we do know is that eventually the family, excuse me, the family members ended up going to the barn and got picked off. Oh, that was... Poor phrasing. That was poor phrasing. <laughs> they legit got picked off with a pickaxe, kind of. Um, so they go to this barn, and all of the wounds are all blows to the head. Directly. A lot of them died from that blunt force trauma from having their skull cracked open, right? Or it could have also been through strangulation, as all of the women... Like, I've heard it was just one or some of them, but I'm just going to say all of them, just as an over-encompassing thing. All of them had been also attempted to be strangled. Hmm. Which seems a little personal, yeah. right? Like, if you want to kill someone, you're going to hit them with their pickaxe, right? Why would you go to try and strangle someone? Um, but eventually, all the bodies are, oh, well, four of the, the family members, the father, the mother, the daughter, and uh, the other daughter, um, the younger one, who, and she was seven years old. So is this... Um, is this... Another daughter, or is this the daughter of the daughter? This is the daughter of Victoria. The okay. daughter of the father. So, I guess so this is the grandchild. Okay. Right. And she's, she's supposed to be the actual daughter of Carl. That uh, was... Carl! <laughs> yeah. That kills people it really does. when it you does hit them in the head with a pickaxe. <laughs> so, now this is the part that actually like, made me tremendously sad. So, you have, you have them all dying, except for the daughter. The youngest daughter. That's Aww. seven. And in the autopsy report, you have the father, or I guess in this point, in her perspective, the granddaughter, the grandmother, and her mother, they're all dead. The daughter lived for several hours after that. Oh, God. And she huddled next to the bodies until she passed. Like, she didn't try to leave. She tried to cozy up next to them. I mean, and I'm just thinking here, like... At seven years old, right, you, uh, you, maybe, you under, maybe you've heard the concept of death, but you don't understand that. And, like, to see your whole family just dead, regardless of what they were, you know, that kind of breaks my heart. You know? Because and, well, and she, I'm sure she's also tearing out her hair, too. And I'm not sure if that's just because she was in so much, like, uh, she trauma? was freaking out. Right? Like, the trauma of, like, what, like, getting attacked yourself and also seeing your family members dead... Well, and it's not just like, oh, seeing them dead. Like, you don't, like, die by pickaxe blow and not have it be messy. Right. So I'm sure that this was, like, an incredibly... Bloody. Yeah. It was a very bloody scene, yes. Um, And so she lays there until she passes, unfortunately. Um, Now, after they were all killed, the um, whoever the murderer was, 
they went towards the house. And I'm thinking, a lot of people speculate it's because, well, now that they killed the father, the person who's the strongest in the household, mm-hmm. probably, um, they want to go into the house. And in there, they go and they kill the maid first. And then they eventually killed the two-year-old, which was Yosef. Oh. So the, the, you know, the child born out of incest. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly. We know the incest happened. I'm not sure, actually, if that child was of incest. Um, likely, though. Yeah, fairly likely. It's, it's in that gray area where it equally oh. could or could not be. Um, now, this happened on March 31st. It took about four days before anyone came out to investigate. And this is because whoever killed them was living in that house. Oh, God. And they were, like, they were taking care of the livestock. There was fire going throughout the, like, you know, smoke going through the chimney, right? So it looked like, like, the daughter didn't show up. So so the the granddaughter, I'm just going to say the granddaughter, she didn't show up to school, which was, you know, it's like, oh, maybe she's just out. Um, The family didn't go to church, they had several people come to the property to come do stuff. Uh, you have on on April 1st, you have coffee sellers, Hans and Edward uh, Shirovsky. Uh, I said that bad. Shirovsky, uh, <laughs> um, they go to the house. When no one responds on the door windows, they walk around the yard, don't find anyone, and then they notice, supposedly they notice, that the gate to the machine house was open before they decided to leave. So they see the gates open, but they just leave. Um, right? They don't go to the school or, like, Sunday worship. And then on Monday, a, a postman, uh, another Yosef. There's a lot of Yosefs in this story, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, a Yosef uh, mayor, he was going to deliver mail, and he noticed that the mail wasn't picked up. And no one was in the yard. And then you had a uh, repairman or an assembler named Albert Hoffner. He went there on April 4th to repair the engine. For the food shopper, he didn't see anyone around. He waited for an hour, and they proceeded to work around the house to fix up that food shopper. He was there for four and a half hours, and I've heard two stories where, like, either he saw the barn door was open, or he was never near the barn door. Um, but he does not find the bodies. He doesn't see anyone else there. Mm-hmm. So he basically goes in there, fixes, does his job, and he leaves. And the reason why I know this, too, is he goes and tells the neighbors afterwards that he's fixed that, but he didn't see that there was anyone up there. Um... So, oh, and so in this, in this part of the thing, they say that he peeked in the barn, but he didn't see anything. So, again, there's like two, there's I mean, a okay, lot of like, different stories. If that's on the fourth, he had to have smelled that. You would think. Wait. You would think, unless there's like something that he just couldn't smell it, or maybe he had, to, he had a bad nose from the war. <laughs> um, so. I lost my nose in the war. Right. So, then in, in, in Gruben, he met the daughters of the village guide, Lorenz uh, Schlittenberg, and he is, or Schlittenbauer, and he is going to be, like, a, a main focus of this whole investigation. Because not only was he, like, a lover, right, or like a scorned lover, so to speak, of Victoria, he also didn't want to pay alimony, he hated the family because he was also getting, getting potentially sued by mm-hmm. them for that money like he had a lot of reasons right yeah he had a a lot of motive to try and kill these people right um but he ends up he goes to send uh two of his sons johan and (laughs) yosef 
Don't worry, there's more! <laughs> <laughs> to the house, they go see if they can contact the family. They don't see anyone. They come back. Then he goes to up to the farm with supposedly Michael, um, I'm gonna say Pole, but that's not how you say it. Michael, uh, maybe it's Michael Pooh and Jacob. <laughs> you know what? It's fine. I'm trying here. Michael Pooh. Michael Pooh. Uh, well, it has a, it has an umlaut over it, so I think that makes a U sound. Um, it's been a while since I've done IPA, but with that here, they go to investigate through this whole thing. They investigate over a hundred suspects, never finding out who it could be, and this has to do with a lot of things that happened with this investigation. So let's go ahead and start off with some of the suspects and what happened at the crime scene. So you have Lauren Schlittenberg, and, or Schlittenbauer, I can't want to say Schlittenberg, uh, Schlittenbauer, who he goes up to the crime scene with these people, and, so, and he goes up there, they find the bodies almost immediately, and he goes right up to the bodies and starts moving them around. So what they find is, they find that they're all stacked on top of oh each other. Oh my god. Right? It's like the worst Tower of Jenga ever. And so they have that. He goes up there and just immediately just starts moving the bodies. And and the neighbors say that it looked like as if he was unfazed. Like he was just going to do a task. Right? Like he wasn't mortified or anything. He just went up there and immediately started moving oh, yes, the bodies. Oh, yes. Here's these bodies, right? Where I right? stacked them. Right? And so you have that. And then, like, they're telling him to not touch that until like, the police are going to come here and come <laughs> investigate. And, stuff. and he's like, I'm looking for my son. Right? That's his excuse. He moves all the bodies around, of course, then exposing himself and contaminating the crime scene. The bodies are now scattered all around. He immediately, after that's all done, goes into the house and goes directly to where his son is. Now, a lot of people think that that's a little suspicious. I personally don't. And the reason why is if you were with someone for a year, I would assume you probably were over at their house. And you know, yeah. Back and you probably know the layout. So that, I don't think, is a telltale sign of it. I mean, to find the body, maybe. But the, the kid was murdered in his bed while he was asleep. Mm -hmm. So at least he went out without really knowing what happened. Um, and granted, he was like a baby. So I mean, I, I can, I get... I can understand me like, well, I'm looking for my son. Not mm -hmm. having an emotional response, that's a little weird. Um, right, and I mean, people take I mean, trauma in different ways, but like still, like just being fully composed. I mean, he could have been bodies. in shock, but I don't know, that's a little odd. The neighbors say, though, they'd say it was, it was weird. Very it was, it was very, yeah, it was very just like matter of fact. Like he was just going to do this thing. Okay, if my child's not here, I'm going to go into the house. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so you Which, do that. another thing that's a little bit weird is if he was, like, vehemently saying, like, I'm not gonna pay for this, this isn't my child, and now he's like, oh, I'm looking for my son. Right. So, they go in there, and with that, he even, like, makes himself at home. So after he finds the, the bodies of all these people and everything, he goes in there and just starts having lunch. It's a little weird and you know like for me too it's like if he was let's say he was a murderer and he was living there he's making himself cozy he fully not only did he put himself into this investigation he he contaminated the whole thing mm -hmm. so there's no way to fully rule him out because he was literally in it after all the murders uh, so well that's a thing that killers will do is they will insert themselves into, into investigations which, right so this is interesting so that way they know kind of what's going on right and they can put in like red herrings kind of thing to-do list unstack bodies yeah, locate because the child why did i stack them in the sandwich. first place <laughs> right um 
So you have all of that, and then the police come to investigate. They don't get there for several hours. Now, again, this is, they're like 43 miles out, and this is back in 19, what did I say, 1931? 1922. Nope. March 31st, 1922. Right? So, I mean, maybe you have, I think you had maybe like some Model T's hanging out and about, <laughs> but you don't have like really like fast loads of transportation to go about 43 miles outside of the city. So, um, they get there, they start investigating. There were some questions asked to why the dog was reacting to Lauren. Right? So, and Lauren's because like the dog was just barking mm -hmm. at him specifically. Right, and they're like, why is that? And he's like, oh, it must be because there's blood on my shoe. And of course, the the officers did not decide to question it any further. They're like, yep, yeah, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. That's all it is, just blood. I mean, there's blood all over in the barn, but otherwise, that's all fine. Um, and they they also said when they took him in for questioning and stuff, they said that he had no motive, that he had like no reason to be there. But the funny thing is, apparently, according to his family's account, they didn't even give him an alibi. They just said, we don't know where he was during this time frame. He was legit gone for the whole time that these murders happened. But no one knew where he was. And he has his own farm. So it's like, huh. what are you doing? But he was also the city tour guide as well. So for all they knew, maybe he was, he doing, was doing tours. Yeah. And he was just working around the clock. That's an interesting job. Right? I am, city I am tour guide. City tour guide. Yes. Um, so you have him. Another reason why they think that he may have done it as well is also for money. Because right before they were all murdered, like just days before, Victoria took out pretty much all of her money from the bank. And she mm. donated 700 marks to the church. And when they were asked, they're like, okay, like, what is that for? She just said, um, that was just donations for missionary work. Okay. Right. I'm not sure what the value of 700 marks are, but I mean, if you take all your money and then you just start donating, like, that seems really suspicious. It yeah. almost seems like, you know, that you're going somewhere maybe, and it could have been totally another thing. Maybe she was planning to run away from her abusive father mm -hmm. with her kids. Like easily could have been, could have been the plan. Um, and so you have him inserting himself in the investigation. You even have him during the murders and stuff. He even tells them what he thinks the murder weapon is, which of course turns out to be the murder weapon, right? And like for me, I'm like, sure, we have all this technology nowadays, but how in the world do you gather that? Okay, this guy he finds the bodies. This guy he thinks he knows what the murder weapon is, right? He's gone the whole time. How do you not think he has any motive, especially after he starts spreading rumors around the town about their incestuous relationship after he can't marry the daughter? He has all of the motive yeah. in my eyes. And everyone pretty much vehemently agrees that it is him. I did, in fact, though, find some other people that seem equally suspicious, which is cool, which is actually the other thing I want to talk about. So you have him and at the end, after all of this stuff, anyone that accused him, he ended up suing them and winning. So, like, even after all this, if he was the murderer, not only did he get away with it, but he also got money. Oh, my God. Right? Now, another thing that the police had suspected is that this was also a potential robbery. Mm. Because of all the money that was taken out. But they found that a lot of the, like, some of the valuables were taken, but all of the major valuables were, like, in the house. That's a long setup for, a, for like, a petty robbery. For six months? 
right? Yeah. Like, like, if you think about it, if this did happen six months before and the maid was trying to warn them, then it, it would make sense, like, to, I mean, if it was just for a, like, a crime of passion kind of thing, that makes sense. For a robbery, unless you're gonna be doing some sort of grand heist, like, go rob the bank. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you robbing these people? And maybe it's because they're easy prey and they just want to make sure they could get away with it. Um, another thing, sorry, I forgot to mention about the bodies, they were also covered with hay. While you're in the barn. And I'm not sure, it, I don't think hay has special properties to keep you from smelling decomposing bodies. Granted, I haven't smelled a decomposing body, but, um, yeah, that's the only thing I can think of with, like, the, uh, the repair guy that looked into the barn, if he didn't smell or see them. But it also sounded like they weren't very well covered up. Mm-hmm. So, maybe he also has bad eyes, man. You shouldn't let him repair your stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> this blind man who can't smell is doing all of the repairs in this town. So another group of people that may have done it is the brothers, oh gosh, the brothers Gump. So you have uh, the <laughs> investigator, he wanted to question Adolf Gump in connection with the murders. Um, because with three others, he had participated in the murder of nine peasants in, it looks like, uh, Silesia. So he was already a murderer. Mm -hmm. um, and they could not rule him as a potential involvement with those murders, as he had instructed someone else to give him an, an alibi about that exact time frame. Right. So technically, if he did do it and just someone was lying to the officers, he had to like a perfect alibi mm -hmm. to not have done it. Uh, they also investigated his brother, Anton Gump, in relation to it because the sister had said that they had definitely committed the murders. But due to the statute of limitations on murder, which for them, it was like 20 years after all this investigation had happened. And also due to supposedly this uh, sister always having really tall stories they couldn't take it that, you know, mm -hmm. it didn't have any validity because you have someone who's constantly being really extreme with all their yeah. stories. Another group of people that may have done it are the brothers Thaler. And these brothers were suspected, uh, according to a statement, based on the previous maid, which for me, I'm like, th this one seems equally as plausible because the brothers had committed several minor burglaries in the area before the crime even though they didn't steal the stuff. So maybe they're just really bad burglars. But um, uh, Riger, who was the maid, said that Yosef Thaler, Jesus another Yosef, like, that's four now, I think. I feel like it was more than that. I think this is a healthier this is like game. Drink forever Yosef. The 87th Yosef. <laughs> um, so you have Yosef Thaler. Um, he stood at her window at night and asked her questions about the family. She gave no answer, but supposedly based on what they were talking about, he claimed to know which family member was sleeping in which room. So he told her explicitly, I know where they're all sleeping. I, um, and I know they have a lot of money. And then he also stated that, uh, during that conversation, there was another person nearby, supposedly her brother. And so she looked, um, uh, she looked at them and they both looked at the machine house before they left. Right. So... With all of that being said, right, there are three valid suspects. Mm -hmm. There's another one, but it seems really far-fetched because people think it may have been Carl, the guy who died in the war. Now, mm -hmm. everyone that worked with him in this platoon, they knew him like since he was young and stuff. They said they saw him die by like a landmine went off and killed him. Like They know for a fact he died. But there are some people that believe that maybe he didn't die. Maybe he took on the alias of someone else. He left, get, went back to go find Victoria, found that she was sleeping with her father, 
another crown of passion, kills off everyone. And the reason why I think that is supposedly after World War II, there was a, oh gosh, I think it does say there, were, there was a Bavarian, what was it? They had, do, 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 yeah, Bavarian-speaking Soviet who claimed to be the murderer of that family. Right, so you have someone that says, I did murder that family. And that it seemed like it could have been Carl mm. underneath a different alias. That one seems a little far-fetched because if anything, right, I'm thinking if that was your wife and stuff, maybe you saw that and like you had a kid and stuff, why would you kill your own kid in that scenario? Whereas I think if I was Lawrence, of course I'm going to kill everyone in that family, especially an illegitimate child uh -huh. or, you know, because I don't want to pay alimony because the government's going to make him want to take care of that child. Right. And so he had to technically, whether it was a son or not, based on his motive, he had to kill everyone in that house, including the maid, because he can't have any witnesses. Yeah. He can't have anyone thinking that there was anything predetermined. I also thought it interesting that the day that the maid shows up, that they all get killed, because it's also equally possible maybe someone was just after the maid. And they killed everyone else to get to the maid. Like, maybe hmm. the maid had something to go... Like, there's nothing... Like, that is just my... Like, just something I thought mm -hmm. of. But there's no there's no grounds for it at all. It's just <laughs> like, I was like, oh, it could be that. But I'm like, eh, seems unlikely. It seems eh, like... We well, like to speculate wildly here. Right. I'm a fan of the imagination. So, you have all of that there. And by the end, in like 2007, people tried to reinvestigate the see if they could find anything. But because there was horrible forensics... The crime scene was completely tampered with. Everyone's dead at this point because it was so long ago. Mm -hmm. They basically say at this point, it is not going to get solved. Like, it is highly unlikely unless there's some sort of new innovation of forensics that could possibly pull any data. The other thing was, here's my favorite part about this whole investigation. So they cut off the heads of all the people that died that had like these bludgeons to their heads. They cut them all off. They buried their bodies. They took their heads to clairvoyance to get answers they have police officers right and like i'm i i believe in a lot of different things and stuff but if you're a police officer do you really think a clairvoyant is going to guide in the right direction because we've had uh, i don't i can't name any stuff off the top of my head but i know there have been several different like stories like that where like a clairvoyant or some sort of psychic gets involved and they can be helpful or it could just be for publicity for themselves you know what I mean? Like, if there was, like, someone who's clearly a fraud. I mean, there's going to be hacks and charlatans in whatever Right, there will always be hacks and charlatans. But there are, there are several cases where psychics and clairvoyants have provided, like, accurate directions that have solved cases. Right. I don't necessarily awesome. feel like they need the decapitated heads. Right, well, they wanted them to look at the heads and stuff and see if maybe they could gather something from that. Like, think of, like, it's you know how, like, your spirit can be, like, bound to, like, certain objects or entities and stuff like that, or certain vicinities? Maybe for them it was like, well, we have a head, so this is, like, they'd be bound to a part of their body, hopefully. Like, maybe they could get, gain some... I life. think they were just worried they'd be vampires. That's fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you have all of that, and the another reason why we can't solve this case is the head's are lost. Oh my god. No, no, no. And the heads are lost. It's because World War II, the building that they were stored in, got bombed. Well, why didn't they put them with the rest of the bodies when they were finished with them? I guess they were still trying to investigate because they wanted to solve a cold case, maybe. Um, but Just put those anywhere. It's fine. Right. At the very end, though, that whole lot, a year after all the murders happened, it got demolished. Right? So it's no longer like the same house and field. And... 
I mean, that's that's pretty much the story at this point, right? There's a lot of different things that could have happened. Uh, the one thing, the one thing that was really frustrating was I found one, one article that I, well, one video I was watching, and it was like four minutes long, and I hated it because <laughs> it had a whole bunch of misinformation in it because it was from BuzzFeed. Oh, right. And because <laughs> the worst part was like they're like. They're basically saying, right, and if you're going to do, like, investigations and stuff, like, regardless of, like, who you are, like, try to be as thorough as possible. Like, for me, I could have made some mistakes in this. I tried to be super thorough, and I get a lot of the stuff I looked at really validate all the stuff that I found. Um, but don't just go making claims where it's, like, the head, they just, the, the people lost the heads. Like, like, the police just lost evidence, right? Or that it, they, they definitely had an incestuous baby. Like, for a matter of fact, right? You have to make sure that you present stuff in as factual of that light as possible. So mm-hmm. that, I was laughing really hard. Also, because they, they were like, uh, they didn't kill the bodies by just doing one fell swoop, right? They didn't just stack people up. And just, <laughs> <you> know, <more. laughs> like finishing blow. Um, but I do want to give some shouts to some people that I did look at to get this valid information. So I have, and that's why we drink. Love you guys. You guys are fantastic. I also found uh, Generation Y and Strangeland were the other ones I listened to that had virtually the exact same information that I found online. So... Yeah, that is the story of the Hinterkaifeck murders. Hmm. That's interesting. Because there's there are other, like, so many plausible there's a lot. ways that this could have gone down. Right. And then, like, the weird, like, oh, we see a man in the forest. Right. I think that's kind of weird, too. Like, if you're seeing stuff, if you're, okay, for those of you listening at home, if you guys ever hear stuff or you see people, like, literally just checking out your venue multiple times in the middle of the night it's probably best right to, <laughs> it's probably best to get that sorted out i because i don't have people typically watching where i live normally i don't see them at least i hope not. They're, they're really good at what they do um <laughs> but yeah so on that note <laughs> katie what are you talking about well uh my category was entertainment so now for something completely different. Is it happier? It is. Uh, I am going to talk about one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. And that is, let me find my page, Monty Python. <gasps> so I was trying to figure out what I was going to talk about. And I was like, oh, I'll just watch some Netflix while I'm doing some research. And I discovered that they have put all of Monty Python's Flying Circus on Netflix, which was one of my favorite fucking TV shows ever. And so your category was entertainment. Yes. Okay. And I was like, forget everything I'm talking forget about Monty <laughs> Python. Everything else. Not and I, somewhere I have a, the box set of the Flying Circus. It's, I love it so much. It's so good. Go watch it. Does it make me... Should I feel bad if I've never seen the Flying Circus? Well, we're going to change that. Okay. So get ready for that. All right, so Monty Python. Collectively known as the Pythons, Monty Python is a surreal comedy group specializing in sketch comedy. It was made up of six people. That's John Cleese, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, Michael Palin, Terry Gilliam, and Graham Chapman. Uh, Terry Gilliam is an American. The rest of them are British. So five Brits, one American. Jones and Palin met at, uni- at Oxford University, and Chapman and Cleese met at Cambridge University. Idle was also at Cambridge, but he was a year below Cleese and Chapman. Um, they met during, they were in a dramatics club 
called the Footlights. And they met Gillum in New York when they were on tour with their dramatics group. Okay. So it's kind of this, like, these people know these people, and these people know these people, and eventually they get brought together. Um, so from 1964 to 1969, the Six Pythons appeared in various shows, um, but the one that the one that's credited with bringing the British Pythons together is The Frost Report, mm. which was a satirical TV show, um, and it ran from, like, 66 to 67. I didn't realize they actually had a TV show. I literally thought all they had was movies. Nope. nope. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so the, the Frost Report had all five of the British Pythons. Um, and so there, there was a list that I found of the different things that they had worked on. Um, and it was, a lot of them would have, they, there was like two of the pythons or three of the pythons or whatever. This is the only one that I found that had all five of the British pythons. And so then I'm getting ahead of myself. That's okay. I did Hopefully. that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was another show that several people worked on. I think it was specifically Cleese and Chapman mm-hmm. worked on called Do Not Adjust Your Set which was originally conceived to be like a children's tea time program. Okay. Um, but it developed into a, like it was a satirical show that developed into a show with more of an adult following. Okay. Not like adult, like triple X adult, adult, like I know you, are, you, mean. Oh, you yeah. are not a child adult. <laughs> it's like how anime works nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Gillum, Idol, Jones and Palin were offered their own late night adult comedy series on ITV. And at the same time, Cleese and Chapman were offered a show by the BBC. Uh, Cleese was reluctant to do a two-man show with Chapman um, for various reasons. One of them, one that I read was that he was a little bit hard to work with and, like, indecisive and just doing a two-man show with him would have been difficult. Um, But he had fond memories of working with Palin. And so he was like, hey, why don't you come do this with us? Uh, The ITV studio was not available for the late night show that was offered to the other four until, like, the summer of 1970. Uh, So Palin was like, you know what, this sounds great, but I have these other guys that I was going to work with. Why don't we see if they want to come, too? So he suggested that Jones and Idol join them, and then Idol wanted to bring Gillum to provide the animation. So on, like, Flying Circus, all the little animated bits that you see, Mm -hmm. that's all Gillum. So thus, the six pythons were brought together, and there was much rejoicing. Hooray! <laughs> so Monty Python's Flying Circus ran from 1969 to 1974. When they came together, they had a definite idea about the kind of series they wanted to create. Um, they were big fans of other sketch, sketch comedy shows, and so they could like see what worked and what didn't. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they felt was an issue is that writers would struggle to find a punchline funny enough to end the sketch. 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 It's nice. a skit and a sketch. A, a punchline funny enough to end the sketch, nice. so then the whole sketch would suffer because it didn't have that, like, punch at the end. To have the zinger. Um, so the solution to this is to not have a punchline at the end. <laughs> it just ends abruptly? You just, you don't have a cap at the end of the sketch. Um, so this is kind of where we get the, like, the stream of consciousness style that we're so familiar with from Monty Python. Uh, some of the sketches just seem to like end in the middle. Sometimes the actors will just wander off set. There's one sketch in particular where I think it's John Cleese. Like, he just wanders off set and he's like, this is the most ridiculous sketch I've ever done. Huh. Um, 
The problem with this was that there was another series released at the same time before they released their show that did the same thing, where it just didn't have like that. Oh. So they were like, well, we don't, like, they wanted to be innovators and do something that was new and different. Sure. So, and so this, they, all, they think like you're stealing Yeah, someone's. so this led them to the style that we know of them blending the sketches into one another. Instead of being like, and here's a sketch, and, and here's, here's a sketch. sketch. They, the whole sketch, show sketch. like runs into itself. Um, one of the ways that they separate the sketches is through animation. And that's, so that's all Galen's animation. And the animation uses a lot of silly old style artwork. Yeah, I know. That, <laughs> I, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> I think it's really clever because uh -huh. you basically have, you have already the tools there. You just choose how you want to arrange them. Yeah. Um, so Flying Circus popular, pop, popularized techniques such as the cold opening. So, or like the cold open. So that's where the show just starts. Okay. So there's, like, I think it's, like, the first episode. It's this guy out at sea, and he's just, like, real haggard, just trying real hard to get to the, the shore, and he get like, it, it goes on for a good long while where he finally gets to the shore. So, like, the show starts, and it's not for another, like, five or six minutes that you actually get the opening title. Huh. So that's the cold open. Um, as well as, like, breaking the fourth wall. Mm, I'm a fan. And transitions that had nothing to do with what came next or what preceded it whatsoever. Okay. And that's kind of where you get that whole, and now for something completely different kind of a thing. Which was, that's very, very Monty Python is the, and now for something completely different. Uh, Cross-dressing was something that was frequently used. Women were typically only brought into the sketch if they required the woman to be sexually attractive. Okay. Otherwise, they were played by the pythons, and they all had their, like, stereotypical is not the word I want, um, but their, like, type of woman that they would play. Sure. So it was, like, one of them would be, like, the housewife type, or, like, something like that. Like, they uh, all had the kinds of women that they liked to, to play. tropes. That's the word I want, tropes. Um, but when they did bring women in, they frequently brought in Carol Cleveland, and she was in a whole bunch of episode, episodes, episodes, and... Um, Welcome like, to What the Fuck Are You Talking About? Yeah. Where we do words Where good. we literally can't fucking speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was in a lot of episodes. She was in some of the later movies. Um, so they brought her in a lot. Mm -hmm. Some of the frequently quoted and well-known sketches from specifically Flying Circus is the Dead Parrot sketch, The Larch, which is one of my favorites, mm. um, Sit On My Face. It's a song. Okay. <laughs> the Lumberjack song. Uh, spam. Nudge Nudge. Which, remember the Nudge Nudge, wink wink, say no more? Well, we're gonna fix that. Yep, I know. The Spanish Woo! Inquisition. Which, that one comes up a lot in pop culture. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, upper Class Twit of the Year. Cheese Shop. And the Ministry of Silly Walks. That's just kind of a smattering of the ones that... Most people, if you if you say something to do with one of those, a lot of people will notice them, or notice them, will recognize them. One of my favorites is a self-defense class where they're discussing how to defend yourself against fresh fruit. <laughs> Banana ring! Well, I know what we're doing after we finish this recording. Yep. <laughs> those of you that can't see my face, which is all of you, I have a very blank <laughs> face right now. Which is all of you, I hope... 
Maybe. I'm gonna close the Maybe window. they got really good at, like, the oh. <laughs> oh, God. There they are. And <laughs> the trees. Um. So, the Python's first feature film released in 1971, and that was called And Now for Something Completely Different. It was comprised of sketches from the first two seasons of Flying Circus. The film was intended as a way to break Monty Python into America, but it was ultimately kind of unsuccessful at that, though it did pretty well in the UK. Um, their n- next movie, which is what they consider their first like proper film, um, was in 1974, and that was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And that's so they they consider that their first proper film, and it was all new material. That's the one I know. Mm-hmm. Is the Holy Grail explicitly? And something I thought was interesting was that a lot of the funding for that movie came from musical groups like Pink Floyd, Jethro Tull, and what? Yeah, well, that's cool. I thought that was neat. That's really cool. <laughs> Uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian came out in 1979, and that, I thought that was, I, it, that's a great movie. Um, but so reporters kept asking the group what the title of their next film would be, which they hadn't even been thinking about. Like, they had just done this one. Like, yeah. they just finished this. Oh, uh, you're asking me a question at all. So Idol replied, Jesus Christ, lust for glory. Just, like, <laughs> as a smart-ass <laughs> remark. And so, like, this became the group's stock answer for when people would ask them that because they realized it would shut people up. But so they've been saying this, and they started thinking, and they were like, actually, that would be a good idea. So they started thinking about, like, a New Testament-era film, kind of in the way that, like, Holy Grail lampooned the Arthurian legend. Right. Um... So they they all had kind of a just a distrust of organized religion, but they agreed that they didn't want to mock Jesus or his teachings directly. So instead, Life of Brian is a satire on credulity, words and hypocrisy among followers of someone who's mistaken as as the Messiah and has no desire to be the Messiah. Ah. His name is Brian. Uh, Monty Python Live at the Hollywood Bowl was in 1982, and this was a concert film where the group performed sketches in front of a live audience. Mm-hmm. Monty Python, the Mooney... Mm, mm, mm. Fuck. You guys, it's, it's really great being here. <laughs> I'm glad that the audio here is just of pristine quality. <laughs> God. <laughs> we'll get through it. Can you believe I say lines on stage? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yourself. <laughs> Sit on a cactus. Ooh. <laughs> Monty Python's The Meaning of Life came out in 1983, and that was structurally close to Flying Circus. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a series of sketches loosely following a single man from birth to death. And this film has some of Python's most like bizarre, dark, and disturbing moments. Right. But also some really elaborate musical numbers. So this this is like widely accepted as the group's like darkest work because it contains a great deal of like black humor, and at the time that it came out, they stated that their their aim with this was to offend absolutely everyone, which I think oh. is fantastic. Uh, each, so each member of the Pythons has like pursued outside stage film TV projects mm-hmm. um, after the group broke up. Some notable ones is like a fish called Wanda. Time Bandits, Jabberwocky, Brazil, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which is the weirdest fucking movie. I have memories of watching that as a child. And I... It... I... It's fucking weird. Yeah? <laughs> I... I just, 
I remember I have one specific like vivid memory of watching this and it's Robin Williams because he was in this movie oh, okay. he's like the king of the moon and his head detaches from his body because I guess that's a thing that moon people do <laughs> and his head is detached from his body and has left wherever his body is but whatever is going on with his body I don't remember exactly because Robin Williams like the head is like no no I don't want any more orgasms <laughs> and this is what I remember as like a nine-year-old. So there's that. Oh man. Uh, also, Yellowbeard, uh, whip, ripping yams, the wind in the willows, and Eric the Viking. Uh, so that's just a smattering of things that they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my shows that I really enjoy is called Faulty Towers, and that features John Cleese. Okay. So if you're not familiar with that, go watch it. It's very funny. I have so many things to watch right now. My <laughs> list is getting way too large. <laughs> uh, in 2005, the Broadway musical adaption of Holy Grail came out, and that is Spamalot. And it received 14 Tony nominations and three wins, including Best Musical, with music, lyrics, and book written by Eric Idle. Um, and John Cleese provided the voice of God for that. Ooh. So he provided the voice of God for the, the recordings that they use in the production. Mm-hmm. Spamalot was followed in 2007 by Not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy, which was a musical retelling of life. Brian, is that you? Yeah, which <laughs> I hadn't heard of that one. Huh. Um, so that was interesting. In 2015, the five remaining Pythons reunited for a sci-fi comedy film with several other film stars, such as Simon Pegg, Kate Beckinsale, Eddie Izzard, and Robin Williams. And that actually happened to be his final film role. Um, And I say five remaining pythons because by this point, I believe it was Graham Chapman? Who left? No, he had died. Oh. Um, What was this movie that had all these famous people? I don't remember what it was called. I did not write down the title. That feels like a stupid thing to have done. That's fine. Hold please, let me find this. I guess the creators of South Park, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, were very influenced by Monty Python, which mm. having read that, I can totally see. That makes see. sense. That makes a lot of sense. Oh. 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 Yes. That's the name of the show. No, it's <laughs> called Absolutely Anything. Oh. Yeah. Um, the plot of that revolves around a teacher who discovers aliens, and so the aliens are voiced by the Pythons. Aliens. That they've given him magical powers to do absolutely anything. Mm. Sounds like Q. And so it's interesting because Eric Idle had originally said on Twitter that he's like, I'm not going to be participating in this, but then he totally did. So, and it was like reading through this, there was a lot of, I mean, you can see, I'm, and things like this, like personalities are always going to clash. And, but yeah. it's like towards the end of Flying Circus, John Cleese was like, I want out. Because he felt like they were recycling things and they weren't coming up with new material. Right. And he was like, it just, we're not doing anything different. And I think this should end and I want to go. And so that was, I, I feel like that was one of the reasons why he came back for uh, Holy Grail was because it was completely new material. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so go watch Monty Python and the Flying Circus. Go watch Holy Grail. Plus they're like, like Brian and Meaning of Life. Movies. Like, I feel like they've got like three big ones. And that's Holy Grail, Life of Brian, and Meaning of Life. Because mm-hmm. then the other ones were, like, sketch shows, sort of. Right, like, like Men in Tights. Um, Men in Tights was not Monty Python. Was it not? That was Mel Brooks. 
Oh. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that one either. Oh my god! That's such a good one. It's great. We're gonna have a segment just on me getting cultured. We have we have a Mel Brooks like collection that's got like Men in Tights and Young Frankenstein and um, yes, I've seen a whole bunch of other. Have you seen City Slickers? Nope. Ah, oh, that's such a good one. Well, we're gonna. There can literally be a segment here about <laughs> what I haven't had not seen. <laughs> well, we're gonna fix that. Yay! So that's that's a little a, a brief history of Monty Python. Mm, some good history there. At least. My, uh, my, the first time I saw my Python was with some close friends of mine, and then, um, like, when I was, like, oh, maybe, like, 11, and we constantly would quote bits and pieces from it. Mm-hmm. Like, what's your favorite color? <laughs> I, I quote that constantly. Like, and no one, no one Great. understands, no, no, no. Oh. because someone who was in conversation, I'll just be like, the large. And I'll be like, the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it's oh, it's so good. Uh, that was fun. I'm glad yours ended on a much it higher. It did. And so you lied to me then. I thought we had 87 episodes <laughs> of just sorrow coming. I, my I way. thought we discussed the number 87 and how that's just the number that always. I don't. That's true. I don't. And now that I'm like aware of it, anytime it happens, I'm like, why is this happening? Why have I said the number 87 again? I don't know. That's your new lotto ticket. You're just gonna, <laughs> and it, it changes periodically. Like, I won't even notice that I'll start using a different number, but I will, and I don't know why. So, eventually, sometime, I'm sure I'll probably start saying a different number, but for now, it's 87. That's nice. Uh, Tell us about your favorite number in the comments down below. <laughs> below what? Exactly. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we roll for next episode? We sure should. Okay, so. Let me take my, I want my thing. Thing. You need that. I always try to take it you from do, you. You do, and then I was all like, give that back. <laughs> I need that. Oh man, what should I do today? You didn't oh, write anything down. Huh? <laughs> you didn't write anything down. No, I was I was thinking <laughs> I have some things in mind, but I'm still processing. <laughs> I was trying to, <laughs> trying to focus. Okay. Oh, let's see. Um, rolling, rolling. Oh, um, I have these are the iconic blue two dice from Kraken. They're very pretty. Mm, that's nice. Ooh, what'd you get? What'd you get? Paranormal! Ah, <gasps> oh, your favorite. Well, I mean, I don't know. That's debatable. <laughs> it's like, one of my favorites. It's one of your favorites. Okay, um, I'm going to roll. Let's do something. Let's do something gross. Let's do this nasty yellow that I have. Oh, God. See? <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a hazard yellow with, like, black on it's it. It's like you need to drink some water mm. yellow. Eight. Oh, you got a wild! exciting Woo! I haven't gotten a wild you finally before. got a wild I finally did that's I don't know what we'll talk about I'm gonna have to well, work on this good luck with that yay alright if you can narrow it down to two then you can roll a four sided die and figure it out mm, yeah that's what I had to do the first time is it yep well, all right. Well, that's it for today thanks for tuning in and come back next time to find out what the fuck we're talking about yeah bye, bye. If you've got something to say, you can find us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash WTFpod. You can email us at wtf.podcast.mail at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WTFAYTA podcast. That's WTFAYTA, that's our acronym, podcast. Our music is by Decker Hinckley and our artwork is by Kirby Morfitt. We'll have just some cats meowing. <laughs> I think that's better. <laughs> <laughs>
That's a good sound bite. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Fun fact, I'm good at making cat sounds. <laughs> That's good. Fun fact, I'm not a cat. It's true. What? <laughs> like they got picked off. <laughs> <laughs> Man.